I'm Gabriel Spitzer, and this is Transmission. Today's episode, Getting Creative. There's a bunch of psychological research out there that suggests constraints, like having your choices limited, actually promotes creativity. And we're all seeing now how being stuck at home or losing your job, having your kids out of school, it sucks. But it can also nudge us to find innovative solutions. It's that whole necessity is the mother of invention thing. Or I'm reminded of a different quote from painter Paul Clay, I create in order not to cry. Today, we have a bunch of stories about how people are adapting to this less-than-ideal situation, starting with Matt and Joe Tolls. Hey, how's it going? Here. I'll do, let's do, let's go elbow. Sure. All right, beautiful. Yeah. I'm Gabriel, how are you? I'm Matt. This was a few weeks ago, before we were all housebound. Matt and Joe are engineers, they're in their 20s, and they're brothers. Me and Joe's dad works for Redmond Fire. And so he's following the local situation very closely because he, he is the local situation. And he gave us a call and said, this is not normal. He was, he's ex-Special Forces. He doesn't panic. And when he says, not normal, get prepared, we take that seriously. We heard that. We went and we got supplies. And while we were at the store, within an hour of that phone call, we were thinking, maybe we have something for this. The thing they had was an invention they had dreamed up a few years back, along with their co-founder, Justin Ith. We started a company called Slightly Robot, which makes wearable sensors to help people with a specific set of compulsive behaviors called body-focused repetitive behaviors. And the, the most important one in there for us is compulsive hair pulling or trichotillomania. The device is a wristband about the size of a watch that buzzes and vibrates when the wearer engages in that compulsive behavior. The idea is that if you're aware of when you're pulling your hair or biting your nails or whatever, you can have more control over it. But back to that shopping trip, Matt and Joe wondered if those gadgets could be used during a pandemic to help people stop a different unconscious behavior, touching their faces. We called Justin first to tell him to get prepared, and then we called him again on our way back from the store with the idea. The idea was to adapt their gadget to this new use, helping people lower their risk of infection by not touching their mouth and nose. It's basically a black nylon watch strap with, instead of a watch, it's just a, a relatively small silver box. And that box contains a sensor, specifically an accelerometer that tracks where your hand is. And the first thing you do when you get it, you put it on, you pair it with your phone like you would like a Bluetooth headset or something and you pantomime the position that you want to detect, whether it's your eyes, your nose, your mouth, and you hit a button and the bracelet remembers that position. And anytime your hand goes back to that position, even if your app is not connected, it'll vibrate. Once they figured out how to do it, they put the word out and were immediately inundated with orders. It set off a flurry of activity at the factory, which is also their house. We don't really have the capacity for the kind of interest we've gotten. It's been absolutely unreal. Like we were, we were a tiny operation, no venture capital, no investors, just some, some guys building electronics. And then with this, now we have three people downstairs. Matt and Joe take me downstairs to the basement, or I mean the factory floor. Well, we, had, we had another guy, but about two hours ago, he got a phone call that his grandmother just got diagnosed with coronavirus, COVID-19, and he just... He gets the call. He says, guys, I got to go. And we lost a worker today already. Imagine an assembly line squashed into your guest room with a growing stack of pizza boxes in the corner. 
basically we're in our basement. We're just outside Joe's bedroom. We've got three tables we scrounged up with uh, three of our new friends, putting putting things together and gluing things together, testing, retesting, battery checks, motor checks, and uh, the final step is sanitation and packaging. One person is gluing components together, one's testing motors and batteries, another is assembling the tiny pieces into the metal case. Their workforce is made up of friends of friends, a neighbor, a guy off Craigslist. The wristbands cost about $50 each. The company says that's just about at cost. They went immediately into back orders and are working to catch up to the demand. They hope to ship 5,000 units in April and twice that many in May. And before I go, Matt gives me a little demo. Just touch your nose like this. So I'm going to add that position. How's that? You get it? Yep. Put your hand down. It stops. Touch your nose again. <laughs> I don't know why that's so, such a delight, but here, I'm going to try to do, to do this again. So lifting my hand. <sighs> You can find out more about the ImmuTouch wristband at our website, transmissionpodcast.org. As we all hunker down and stay physically away from friends and neighbors, people are finding creative ways to be together. A lot of us are using fancy tech, like video conferencing. But one guy in Tacoma has come up with a decidedly low-tech way to connect across distances by talking really loud. Here's KNKX's Jennifer Wing. For about six hours a day, 27-year-old Matt Fleming is on his bike riding around Tacoma, screaming at people's houses. Help us! Mothers are the unsung heroes of the world, and you're doing the best job ever! (laughs) Thank you! If you didn't catch that, he said, Elsa, mothers are the unsung heroes of the world, and you are doing the best job ever! ever. Up until a few weeks ago, Matt was a chef at Hotel Murano in Tacoma. We kind of bear the brunt of the first wave. The The hotel was primarily large, largely convention-based business. So a lot of our business came from groups of 100 or 250 or more. And, and when the orders came, that was kind of the first wave. That was all of our business gone. Matt found himself sitting on the couch at home, unemployed, filled with anger. And that's the thing. I wasn't angry at anyone. I was just angry at how I lost my job, why I lost my job, the circumstances under which my friends were losing their jobs, um, everybody. And I wanted to yell. I just wanted to scream at something. Um, And I was like, I bet I I could yell at people because everyone else is really angry, too. And I bet people would pay me to yell at them. And that's really how it started. I was like, I love riding my bike, and I feel like yelling. I wonder if if people would pay me for it. Matt didn't want to scream hateful messages or anything angry. He wanted to turn his fear and his frustration into something more hopeful. So he set up a profile on Instagram. It's called Tacoma Shoutouts. If you pay him $1, he'll bike to the location you send him in Tacoma, and he'll yell out your message to your intended target. They miss you! They love you! Tacoma supports you! Woo! I mean, my goals are, are, are just to spread positivity. Like, truly. But, you know, the, the donations are great. 
and and the exercise is great, but I truly just want to like make people smile. Everything is shouted from well over six feet away. Sometimes Matt rides in a circle to deliver the longer messages. And he doesn't just accept any messages for $1. He has a few rules that you need to follow. No racial slurs, uh, no hate speech. I'm not going to go and like, 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 hey, like, you owe me five bucks. I'm not doing that. I've <laughs> thankfully never had to enforce it. Everybody gets it. So far, Matt has made about 500 bucks. He's donating all of the money to a local bike shop called Second Cycles, which does a lot of work with the community. Most of the messages Matt delivers are terms of endearment. He sings happy birthday, and he's shouted some things that are a little raunchy. One was just like, so wrong. It was like, you can't do without your balls. And I, I actually knew the person I was shouting to, um, and I know a lot of her neighbors. So you're screaming at the top of your lungs. Oh, at the top of my lungs. Neighbors come out. And then the neighbors are getting a laugh from it. It's so great. You know, we're social creatures. And right now we're kind of being deprived of this really basic human need. And that's the need for social interaction. Right now we are missing something in our lives. And this is a way to put it back in our lives in, in even a small way. Matt comes home from these rides tired, but completely elated. He's looking to add at least two new riders to start shouting in their neighborhoods in Tacoma. Now that most of us are confined to our homes, Matt wants bikers shouting messages of positivity, love, and humor all over the Northwest and the country. KNKX's Jennifer Wing. That personal contact that we hunger for and can't get much of right now, that's the lifeblood of local live music and performing arts. So musicians are getting creative in order to make a living and help keep all of us a little bit saner. I checked in with KNKX's Rebecca Way, who's a musician herself. I play the saxophone. Can you just kind of describe the predicament that musicians and performers are finding themselves in? So musicians were hit kind of early on and artists too by a lot of event cancellations. And a lot of them work as independent contractors as well. And until the stimulus package, there wasn't an opportunity for them to get unemployment benefits. So many were kind of left wondering, where where do I go? Where do I find help? So you made the acquaintance of somebody who... Um started working on solutions for this, or at least temporary solutions. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, so Gordon Brown is a local saxophonist, and he used to work in the tech industry as a coder. So how did he go about like solving this problem where you've got all these musicians who can't perform? He wanted to create a website to offer live streaming of concerts. One of my band's gigs got canceled a couple Thursdays ago. And I was really bummed, um, but the band leader kind of, you know, we were on a group chat and he was just talking about, well, I wonder how we could, you know, live stream this and um, still get paid. What did that wind up looking like? It live streams concerts and 
on the right of it, you'll see this like donation area. And then whenever you donate, there's this animated tip jar that shows like money falling into a glass and how much is donated. So is this up and running yet? Are people playing concerts? Yeah, yeah, they've done six concerts so far. How's it gone? Gordon has said that every one of them has been fairly successful. Um, Many of them have reached their goals, if not gone past their goals. I think all of us are, you know, getting um, pretty cozy with video conferencing technology during this time. But what does it mean specifically for musicians who are used to playing in a room with live, you know, human beings? This is something that Gordon mentioned. He said that it can be a little bit awkward. One of the uh, things that kind of surprised, I think, everybody was that awkward silence that happens after a song when there isn't an audience. Mom, is it working? Mom! Mom! (laughs) It's it's really kind of off-putting, you know, you expect this applause, you've just put your heart and soul into a performance and then just nothing. (laughs) And uh, you don't really realize how much you miss it until it's gone. Yeah, and on that score, I mean, obviously this is a way to make some money and survive in a difficult time, but beyond that, what does it mean to them just as artists to have an outlet at a time like this? I think for many musicians, a lot of performing is it's part of their identity. It's really important to perform. Um, when you take that away from artists, uh, it's it's really hard. Um, there's that aspect of just, you know, feeling like you're an artist again when you're performing. So live streaming is a way to kind of keep that feeling alive. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Thank you. KNKX's Rebecca Way. That live stream concert footage was courtesy of the Skerrick Band. All over the region, people have been digging deep and figuring out how to adapt their talents and resources to help out. KNKX's Kari Plogue told me about one Pierce County woman who has a particular knack for this sort of thing. Krista Linden is a pretty remarkable human being. I've been covering her for years. She um, started a nonprofit called Step by Step. Uh, based in Puyallup now, Um, and she helps four different counties in western Washington um, at-risk moms and their babies from pregnancy through infancy. So um, when the pandemic hit, what did Krista do? Yeah, so Krista was already dealing with her own situation uh, with the virus. She had just opened a restaurant and event hall just a few months ago. They had to pivot to takeout. Um, they've been feeding their step-by-step moms um, who are most hit by this economic shutdown. And despite all that, uh, she has friends in high places. So Pierce County Council member Dave Morell learned that one of the programs they have is sewing baby clothes and baby blankets for kids. And so because he had remembered that and knew that Pierce County had this need to sew you know, 40 or 50,000 masks, he thought she'd be the perfect person to mobilize this massive group of volunteers to basically sew as many masks as they can. So what happened next? 
she, within 48 hours, was able to put the call out on social media and had rounded up more than 300 volunteers willing to come to the event space that she was transforming into a hub for this um, massive Pierce County assembly line. Um, They were cutting fabric, bringing fabric they had on hand, putting them all together in kits, uh, printing out patterns, and distributing them to people all across the county. Um, And then people drive up to the side, a volunteer runs out of the venue, passes off the kit, they drive off, they sew up all the masks. I think each kit has about 20 masks. Then they bring them back, they're professionally laundered, and then other volunteers, including some from a church out in Fife, are taking those to emergency management volunteers and staff with Pierce County, and they are making sure that it gets to all of the healthcare providers and first responders who need them. So what was involved in you know, retooling in the blink of an eye, basically, from sewing baby clothes to, to meeting this urgent medical need? Yeah, she's just, she's a doer. She knows how to get stuff done. She's a a two-time triathlete, a mom of seven, uh, and she has a way of figuring out how to do things that seem impossible. (laughs) Seven kids. How does she have time or energy for any of this stuff? I have no idea. And she she seems to handle it with so much grace. What do the masks look like? What are they made of? A lot of these volunteer efforts, Krista was telling me, are usually cotton-on-cotton masks, which she actually had heard were not ideal. Um, so what they've been doing is they've been doing rayon material on the inside and then cotton material on the outside. She's driving as far as, I think last week she said she drove as far as Camino Island from Puyallup to pick up several hundred yards of fabric. And the fabric is coming from all different places. And so they're definitely mixed matched. They're not meant to look good. They're meant to, you know, do what they're supposed to be doing. I just think in... You know, as hard as times like this are, I think, uh, <laughs> bring out the good in people. And, um, and I, just ho- I just hope that those that are um, our medical professionals that are working tirelessly, every mask they put on is handmade. I, I hope... Um, that they um, um, they see the outpouring of support. That's Krista Linden of Farm 12 in Puyallup. The story came from KNKX's Kari Plogue. Restaurants that didn't plan on becoming takeout operations have had to figure out what to do with all the food they had in stock before it goes bad. And they're not the only businesses stuck with perishable merchandise. KNKX's Kevin Kniestead explains how one Tacoma business got creative. With weddings being canceled or postponed and floral shops temporarily closing their doors, Chris Berglund found himself with a lot of extra flowers on his hands. He is the vice president of Washington Floral Service, a floral wholesale distributor. Yeah, I mean, flowers are definitely a perishable item. <laughs> uh, they, they they go bad once they've been cut at the farm level. They're in the process of dying already. So we're trying to do whatever we can in order to 
keep quality as good as we can for as long as we can. But at a certain point, you just have to accept that there's some of this product that you're not going to be able to get rid of. So Chris found himself staring at all of these lilies and roses and other flowers that were likely doomed for the dumpster. And then a light bulb went off. Why not donate these flowers to mom and pop businesses and local restaurants and let those businesses give them away to their customers? And the idea there was just to say, hey, look, these places are still out. They're still trying to keep people employed. They're trying to feed their communities. They're trying to make sure that the local communities are able to get groceries or fill in items when they need to. So go and support them. Uh, the flowers are free. They're on me. You don't have to pay anything for them. They don't have to pay anything for them. Just go in, grab a bouquet, grab some beer, grab a hamburger for takeout, whatever it is, and get out there and support those businesses. Chris said that he delivered around 300 bouquets of flowers that weekend to local businesses. He says the response on social media was great, and other businesses reached out to him to see if they could get in on the next delivery. He anticipates that with more orders of flowers from farms already on the way and more and more events being canceled, that flower donations to businesses are likely to happen again, assuming it's safe to do so. I don't have any ability to magically improve the economy right off the bat. Sure. I I sure can't fix the epidemic for everyone, but I can at least bring a little bit of a little bit of sunshine into somebody's life. And that's what we're going to keep doing for a little bit. So if you find yourself getting pizza to go in Tacoma or some groceries at a locally owned convenience store in Gig Harbor, a little pick me up during these otherwise unpleasant times might come with it free of charge. KNKX's Kevin Kanista. Seattle is famously kind of a reserved place, and with social distancing, a lot of people are really feeling the freeze and craving community. So what if I told you that a couple of Seattle women recently organized a neighborhood dance party? Sound dangerous? I mean, how can you do that when large gatherings are banned and people have to stand six feet apart? KNKX reporter Bellamy Palethorpe got special permission to attend, and she says they found ways to keep it safe by getting creative. I arrived early for this dance party. I'm not going to lie. I was already pretty eager to get out of the house. This event happened before Washington State's shelter-in-place rules went into effect. But all bars, restaurants, gyms, and entertainment venues had been closed for nearly a week. The party was on a block in the Finney Ridge neighborhood in northwest Seattle. Before the dancing started, I talked with my friend Ann Phillips. This party was her idea. She posted about it on Facebook. I'm standing in Ann's yard, and she's on her porch. And we are having this interview at minimum six feet, if not more. Ann is a trauma-informed psychotherapist with a deep interest in social justice. She says dancing is just one way you can use movement to calm your nervous system and de-stress in times like these. And out here on her block, she says it can build connection and solidarity between neighbors. She's concerned that the isolation that's encouraged right now is reinforcing racist tendencies against Asians because COVID-19 originated in China. She's seen articles about a spike in white supremacism linked to the epidemic. For her, this party is one way to counter that. So we can say, "Uh uh-uh, nay, nay, and nip that in the bud because people get scared and stressed and then this habit to blame 
and uh, we're all in this together. It doesn't matter where it started, all things start in all places and it's the planet, human beings and animals being too close together and let's address that instead of blaming particular groups of people. Plus, she and her partner, Carol Brown, love to dance. Carol is in charge of marking up the street outside their house with little chalk circles that are 10 feet apart. Took my tape measure, added the extra four feet between the circles on both sides. What do you mean you added an extra four feet? Well, we're supposed to be six feet apart, but I added four to make a 10. So the circles that you see on the sidewalk are all 10 feet apart. And someone brought bamboo poles to lay on the ground to remind people of the six feet rule when talking. To be extra safe, they asked people from outside the neighborhood to stay away and do their own dance party if they wanted. And some neighbors said they would just dance along from their porches or balconies, kind of like the group singing events we've heard about in Italy. A little past 7 p.m., the dance music starts, and we all take our spots inside the chalk circles. Topping the playlist, the tune that Anne says inspired this whole event. The playlist was a neighborhood collaboration hashed out on emails and chat boards. There's all kinds of stuff on there, including a salsa number and tunes by Lizzo, The Police, Thomas Dolby, Gloria Gaynor, and Justin Timberlake. It's a really great mix themed around social distancing. My favorite was The Safety Dance by Men Without Hats, and seemed to have the most fun with Billy Idol. People danced to the music for nearly an hour, some dashing between the chalk circles and chasing each other in what looked like a weird version of musical chairs. But lots of people didn't dance at all. And as I observed their interactions, it looked like quite a few were forgetting the social distancing rules as the party progressed. Some were drifting closer together. Davis Amon came out with his whole family. He's been working from home with two daughters while his wife continues to go out for work as a veterinarian. He didn't dance at all, but he still had fun. <laughs> I just love that everybody's out here kind of enjoying themselves within the constraints of the social uh, distancing or whatever. It's a really unique and fun idea. He says these days when the weather's nice, you don't see people following the rules the way they are here. Standing six feet apart from another person you're interacting with is difficult to do. It's not natural but it's what we need to do with this invisible enemy. Because it's, you can't really see it. You can see the sun, but you can't see the virus. So <laughs> we've been inside for a long time, so. In the end, Anne decided to end the party a few songs early. She didn't get through the entire playlist. People were having a good time, but also just a little bit concerned about if people are getting a little close to each other. So two reasons, stopped it because we want people to respect the distance. And then also there's kids. So wanting to be respectful of the kids in the neighborhood. I checked in with Anne after the governor's stay home, stay healthy order came down. She says the way things are right now, she wouldn't try to throw this kind of party again. But she reached her goal of strengthening community and connections in her neighborhood. Ever since the event, she says she's noticed more friendly waving and bigger smiles outside on her block. And she says lots of families continued to play in the chalk circles on the street. People were enjoying them for days later till the rain came. So there was people taking pictures in them. There was kids hopping around in them, trying to leap 10 feet to the next circle. So they were enjoyed for various other reasons after the dance party. 
Anne's playlist is available on Spotify, so anyone can do this dance party safely at home, over the internet, or on their own, if they want to. We can dance if we want to. We can leave your friends behind. Cause your friends don't dance, and if they don't dance, well, they're no friends of mine. See, we can go where we want to. Place where they will that story from KNKX's Bellamy Palethorpe. Before we go, I just wanted to share this music with you. It comes to us from students in the band at Graham Kapowson High School in Pierce County. Band director David Stewart had each student record their own part on a mobile device like an iPad, synchronized to a click track that keeps tempo. And then he mixed it all together. So here's Canzone Personar Number no. 2 by Giovanni Gabrielli. Transmission is produced by the staff of KNKX, including Posey Gruner, Kevin Kniestead, and Jennifer Wing. We had help this week from Rebecca Way, Kari Plogue, Bellamy Palethorpe, Ashley Gross, and Parker Miles Blom. Our executive producer is Florangela Davila. Please consider giving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and you can send feedback, along with a voice memo recording of what your life is like right now, to outreach at knkx.org. I'm Gabriel Spitzer. Catch you next time on Transmission.